Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Mike, and I'll be reading uh, the Bible this morning. Um, we've got two uh, passages of the Bible we'll be looking at. The first one's from the Old Testament, and the second one's from the New Testament. And you can follow along on the screens, or if you've got your own devices or Bibles, you can follow along there. So the first one reading comes from the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke that covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is a covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And the second reading is from the New Testament, from Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralysed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed the sick. This was to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. 
Thanks, Mike. Good morning, everyone. Paul Cooper's my name. Most people call me Coops. And uh, it's great to be back here again after so long and wonderful to see all of you here. And uh, let me add my welcome to Craig's too. If you're new or you're visiting this morning, maybe you're here because of this big question series. So great to have you with us. So thank you for being here this morning. Uh, How about we pray and then we'll uh, take a look at God's word. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would help us this morning to hear you clearly, uh, to see the truth in what you say, and to appreciate the clarity, Father, with which you do show yourself to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as Craig said, we're working our way through this big question series. The big question this year was, what would make God worth believing in? And this week, we're looking at one of the top four answers uh, from everybody that was asked this question, and it was, God would be worth believing in if he showed himself to us. God would be worth believing in if he showed himself to us. Now, I dug into this a little bit and got into the spreadsheet with all of the individual answers, just to understand what were people really asking for when they answered this question. And what they said were, that they wanted to see God reveal himself to them in a way that was just unmistakable. You know, like it had to be really clear. It had to be a miracle, something like that. Some sort of sign or proof that was right there in your face and showed that God was real. And uh, if that happened, of course, well, it would be obvious, wouldn't it? Then God would be worth believing in. That's fair enough. So preparing for this, I thought about, you know, what has the Bible got to say about this? I thought first, you know, of our world, of God's creation, because the Bible says that God has made himself known, actually, in creation. The Apostle Paul, when he's in Lystra, he says this, it's recorded in Acts 14 in the Bible. He says, we're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth. And the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let the nations go their own way. Yet he's not left himself without testimony. He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven, crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. And we do have seasons, don't we? Obviously, we have seasons and rain like we have today. The rain falls, it grows food. All of God's creatures eat, life goes on. There's a cycle there, isn't there? You know, the trees absorb carbon dioxide, they release oxygen. Creatures breathe the oxygen, breathe out carbon dioxide. Life goes on. It's it's cyclical. It seems to have a structure, our world. It's got an intent behind it. Because it was created deliberately and with intention. And it's actually held together, this world, in a really fine balance. There's uh, 15 things that can uh, never change or have never changed let's say in our world that we can measure Uh, force of gravity speed of light those sorts of things the thing about those is that if any one of them changed by just one part in a million just one millionth of a change in value life would never have existed the conditions wouldn't exist for life now I was in my 30s when I came to the conclusion that God was worth believing in And as I sort of went down my own journey and I came across these facts by themselves, those facts didn't make me believe. But they did get me thinking that maybe they might be a sign that something with intelligence and intent might actually be behind all of this. 
that it wasn't random chance, if you know what I mean. Now that was me, and, and since that time I've spoken to loads of people about God, and often people will say to me, well, there's a lot of brokenness in our world. Right? There's a lot of problems, a lot of suffering. That doesn't seem very intelligent. So how do you explain that? But the thing about those things is they're actually signs too. They're signs too. Because in Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, it says that God did create everything. And it says, it says this, God saw that he would make, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. See, everything God made was very good. But what happens is that humans turn away from God. They don't want to live with God as their God. Prefer to trust in their own strength, in their own money, whatever it is. And that turning away from God is what the Bible calls sin. When we try and make our own way in God's world. And so we mess it up. And so wars and disasters and brokenness, see, we make it not good. So these things that we see, this brokenness, actually, they're also a sign. Or more of a symptom, we might call it. It's like catching chicken pox, you know, when you get the spots and the fever, and they tell you that something's not right. They're a sign that something's wrong, those symptoms. Same thing with the brokenness in the world. It's a symptom that something's wrong and actually that there's something wrong with us and it's a sign that we need something bigger than us something bigger than ourselves we need God who made it all very good in the beginning and we need him to make it all very good again and the Bible tells us actually that he will and that in itself is another sign it's another way God's revealed himself. The Bible records God promising to Abraham 2,000 years before Jesus that he'd make Abraham's descendants his own people. He'd make them God's people. He'd be their God. And the Bible records over the ages, God's people, they keep turning away from God over and over again. God keeps saving his people over and over again. Keeps wanting them to turn back to him and to trust him. And the Bible records God's promise to King David a thousand years later. How he promised that he would finally save his people. And he'd do it actually with somebody from King David's descendants. And it records how he finally did do that through Jesus. See, Jesus is God the Son. He took on flesh. And he was born from King David's line. So can you see... It's a very quick fly-through there of the Bible, but it all hangs together as one plan. This is the thing. It all hangs together as one plan. See, and left alone, we don't want God. We try to live without him, and that is what sin is, ignoring the creator, messing up God's creation. And there's a consequence to that, which is death and judgment. But Jesus, God the Son, died and faced God's judgment so we don't have to. See, this is God taking that on himself. Took it on himself to sort that out and to finally make us his people. Now, if we trust that Jesus did that for us, we're forgiven. And God sees us 
sinless. Just as Jesus is. And so we'll be raised to life again to be with him. Like Jesus is. And see the Bible tells us that story. It tells us God's plan to save from the very beginning. And the books of the Bible, they're written by different people. They're written at different times and they're written over thousands of years. But it all hangs together in one plan. Now if you think about that, a plan like that, written by different people over thousands of years, can't be coordinated across multiple people who just live for decades, can it? It can't happen. See, a single logical plan to save like that, that has to come from one source, one originator. That's God. And the archaeologists, you know, that have excavated and found these manuscripts, they've found thousands of them, thousands of uh, manuscripts of the Bible, and they agree. Archaeologists and historians all agree they pass the tests for historical accuracy, for historical truth. All hangs together. One plan to save. And that is a sign. Now, years ago, when I discovered that, I found that very convincing. And there's a lot more we could say about it, uh, but we won't uh, this morning. But if you would like to know more, I've printed out a page that shows how the Bible hangs together as one continuous story. God's plan to save unfolding through history. And I've put a pile of them on the back uh, table there just near the doors so if you want to grab one uh, please feel free to do that and have a look the bible hangs together one story god's plan to save unfolding throughout history and the bible says other things doesn't it it says that when god's plan was getting close to its end when jesus had come to earth he did many miracles and we heard them as mike was reading uh, in that second bible reading for us he drove out demons he healed the sick he cleansed lepers. But perhaps the biggest miracle is what happens when Jesus saves. And God foretold what would happen through the prophet Ezekiel, also recorded for us in the Bible. He said this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. See, what happens when we come to trust in Jesus and we're saved is that we're given new hearts. Isn't that extraordinary? We are changed to want to live for God. Now that is the biggest miracle. And the Bible has loads of examples. People being changed, coming to know God, the Apostle Paul, he was a murderer. He served the religious authorities with this single-minded dedication, finding Christians, making sure they were put to death. And Jesus suddenly changed him. Matthew, one of the uh, disciples, he was a tax collector. They reviled tax collectors back in the day. They stole from their own people. Jesus changed him. See, change like that. That is a miracle. And so I was looking at these individual answers to this big question, right? And I was thinking, people want to see a miracle. They want to see the sort of thing that's being described here that Jesus did. 
people want to see a real miracle, something clear and obvious to show that God is real. And so I thought this morning I'd show you one. Jeff Cook's a friend of mine. He's going to come up here and join me on the stage. Jeff is a miracle. Jeff is a walking sign to the existence of God. Come up here, Jeff. Thanks, Paul. And I've invited him... Uh, Sorry, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) And I've invited him along here today because I want you to hear his story. I want you to hear that God still does miracles. And I want you to decide if God is worth believing in. So, Cookie, thanks so much, mate, for joining us here this morning. Thanks for having me here, Coops, and uh, uh, brothers and sisters. Um, I I just feel... um, Honoured to be here in front of you this morning and, um, and with what Coops is saying, to be a miracle. It's a miracle me just standing here in front of you this morning and I'm just going to share a, a little bit of it with you. But let me tell you, it's a miracle that I stand up here uh, in front of you this morning. So God bless you and, and, and thank you for being here to listen to uh, this miracle and story. Fantastic. I really appreciate it. Now, I'm going to ask you um, three questions just to try and uh, well help us understand what's actually happened in your life and just how amazing that is. Um, I know from the discussions that we've had, Cookie, that you come from a, a good home. You were raised uh, in a good family. But when you got to 30, um, things really started to go downhill. Can you tell us a bit about um, what happened at that point and what happened over the next uh, few years? Yeah, well, uh, I, I grew up in a good family. I grew up in that family business, uh, uh, which I still run a business now myself. Um, and um, um, with, I, I went to Sunday school. Mum was a Christian in our family. Uh, Dad wasn't. And then eventually, like, Dad uh, gave us a choice. You can stay home and make some pocket money and work in the business or you can keep on going to Sunday school. And uh, the whole three of us chose to stay home and make money and... And, um, and I, I think my life ended up like just going that way. Um, I was kicked out of home by the time I was 16 years old. And, um, and um, uh, Dad told me that I'd now, never had nothing. So I, uh, I, I suppose I went out to prove that he'd be wrong, you know. So, um, and, and by, by the time I got to 30, I'd already had three boys and built a business. Uh, I obviously found somewhere to live. I was homeless for about six months um, and built a business. I was on a, I was on a mission uh, to prove myself in the world and I uh, built a, you know, a, a good family business. I got three boys and, and I built this construction business. And, uh, but uh, I think maybe I watched too many movies about Al Capone and stuff like that and seen the wealth and the glamorous lifestyle and um, um, uh, chose to go down that track, I suppose, um, un- unknowingly that uh, that would lead to a very dark part of my life. Thanks, Jeff, for um, being yeah, so open with us about that. Can you tell us, um, give us a little bit of... Sorry, actually, can I just get you to step... Because I keep stepping yeah. on the keyboard and I'm going to yeah. get in trouble if I knock that over. Yeah. Um, but could you give us a little bit of insight? Like, what did, what did that world look like? What did it do to you? Yeah, well, it started off pretty innocent when I'd, 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 I'd built a house, at, well, moved into a house at Redwood Park when I first started my family. From there, we uh, bought a uh, fish farm 
up. And my, 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 my life's been pretty interesting, that's for sure. Um, but it, it, it certainly went dark as soon as I um, started going uh, towards areas that you shouldn't travel to in your life. Uh, I built a, 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 well, I bought a fish farm up at Houghton, which was called South Australian Aquaculture. Um, joined a footy club down the road, and I suppose that was the start of uh, uh, the introduction into drugs. I was a late bloomer. You, you, most of us worry about our teenagers and that when they're transferring. I remember mum telling me when I was going into high school, stay away from drugs. And uh, I listened to her words, but I suppose by the time I got to 30 and had this business running and a place up at Houghton, a, a fish farm, an earth movement business that we'd started is that I was getting too big for my britches. And, uh, um, yeah, so I uh, joined a footy club. Um, what, what I'd found playing footy club, and uh, after, especially if we win a footy match, is that the drinking was heavily. I, I, I suppose I drank all the way through my life. I was about 14 years old. We was going to a party, and the lads collected money, which I thought they was going to get sweets, and they came back with alcohol. Well, alcohol was, was always been an enemy. Absolute enemy to me. It's a, I say it's a compromise, compromise it to your soul, and um, that it would bring out something in you unless you've got it under control. It was never good for me. I was a all or nothing bloke, so if I drank, it was a drink to get drunk. And uh, so, so after a, a win on a footy match, would, um, is that you would start, uh, you know, I'd, 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 I'd be blind drunk by the time we'd finished the night. And that, that's where the introduction of like methamphetamine or ice came into it, which they called keying. I had no, no idea, but it was like they put out a key, you just stick it in your mouth cookie, and that was the introduction into uh, uh, the drug world, you know. And I was, I was in my 30s by then, would you believe? Mm. Um, uh, and, 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 and from there, it just spiralled out of control. Um, I, 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 I tried that, well, I thought in my mind that it would always be kept to a social outlet and not to something that would become something that ruled my life. So I switched over the cocaine because I seen that like, in the Hollywood glamorous, I, I was... Uh, I was, a, I was a foolish man, but like watching TV and all that, it, it's, it, it's amazing how much that you can be inspired, not knowingly, what, what you're watching can really diminish your life and lead you down another track. And so uh, seeing, seeing them doing cocaine and stuff on television and in movies and stuff like that, so I switched over to that because I heard the problems that they were having with meth as it grew, grew over the year. Years, I, I think I even heard the media say that it, um, it was the devil's drug, and they was absolutely right by that. But so is cocaine. There's, a, there's no kidding yourself. I ended up with a massive cocaine um, addiction, and 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 the world that it takes you into is is, is a darkness beyond anything. You know, like they, I, I think they're trying to convince us these days that there's no such thing as good and evil. Well, you you move into that world. And there's a darkness beyond anything, and and and, and that you will start to associate um, with well, me being a businessman, you know, instead of getting it off where it's been through three people, I wanted to go to where it was coming through in the first place. So you went right to the top. So you was associating with uh, criminals that had, um, and and I was one of them. I was one of them, and. Um, 
you know, that have been involved in, well, you imagine the nastiest stuff that happens in that world. That's what I was involved in. Jeff, thanks so much for um, sharing and particularly being so, yeah, opening up and, and sharing such uh, personal details with us. Um, and I, know, I think in our conversations you've said to me, you know, if things hadn't changed, you probably wouldn't be here today. Absolutely. Um, but something did change. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, what, what made you take a closer look at Jesus? Well, one of the scariest things was, was um, um, just anybody that ends up with a drug addiction or what, what, whatever kind of addiction it is, and maybe just gambling and they can't get hold of the, the money to put the bet down, is coming across that uh, money was never a problem for me. I was a functioning uh, well, I had people working for me as well, good people working for me, so that business was... So, so, so money, money was on tap all the time. Um, yeah, what, what, one of the scariest times was for me is uh, I was trying to get a hold of a heap of cocaine or meth or whatever, uh, pills and stuff like that for Christmas because Christmas was coming up and, um, and I couldn't get hold of it. And I just remembered, I'd, I'd, and I still remember exactly where I was when, when, when that happened because I'd realised, wow, I've got an addiction. But would you believe I was 10 years into it by then? 10 years into it before I'd actually come to terms with that I had an addiction. Um, and, and, and so from, from, from there on, uh, my wife thought I was having an affair. Well, I heard her bawling her eyes out one day and... I came and spoke to her and, and, um, and, and I asked her what was wrong. She said, I know that you're having an affair. Uh, well, what I was having an affair with was drugs. You know, my wife would be going to sleep in bed beside me and I'd have a bag of cocaine inside the bed with the covers pulled over top of me, listening to a voice in my head saying, just one more and she'd be finished. I'd wake up in the morning, I'd be drenched in blood and, um, and I may have been awake for three days in a row my wife didn't even know and um, so anyway to fast forwarded on from there we uh, my wife eventually filed um, for a divorce and uh, she thought that like sending me off to uh, uh, AA you know like and uh, programs to recover from the addiction would fix me well they didn't. There wasn't anything that was going to fix me. A drug addict, once they get that far in the darkness, they can't find. It's like you, when you open the door, that's the first time you take the drugs. For the first few years, you can see where that doorway is. Once the addiction comes in, you can't see your way out. That's it. You're lost. And um, um, But um, along the way, um, I had, which I married this year, my best friend sitting down there. Um, she she was uh, mixed up in some of the scallywag stuff that I was doing, but uh, she um, she found her way out, and um, and that um, she just went. She didn't know what to do. I was sleeping with a 12 gauge at this stage. I'd uh, shot up my house with a 12 gauge. I'd shot all my trophies. I'd paid my wife out for everything. So it wasn't anything to get back at my wife or anything for the splitting up of the business. I, I mean, I still had heaps of stuff and I didn't, I, I didn't care about it. I heard something bad on the television, so I shot the television while it was going with the 12 gauge. You know, there, there's, there's an enormous amount of... I, I don't want to glorify this side of things. Um, anybody want to ask me questions after? But it, 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 if you can imagine, it went a lot deeper and a lot darker than this. 
what, what I would like to share with you now is where Coops wants me to get to. Because I could, I, I could stand up here for hours and tell you stories. But what I want to do is glorify him. Because there was nothing. I went to those programs. I tried to do uh, the, the rehabilitation programs. There weren't anything that was going to do. But my now wife, she didn't grow up in any sort of background with the church or anything. She didn't go to Sunday school or anything like that. Not, not like I had the knowledge of God because my mum was a Christian. But she started going to church because she didn't know what to do. She knew I'd fallen into a stage where it wouldn't be long that I'd take my life. And um, so she, she started going to church. She handed a letter over that reached Bob Day. That he's a, he used to be a senator, in, uh, if anybody knows Bob Day here. And uh, he made a phone call. He rang me up. He's a, he, he's a brother in the Lord. He loves Jesus. And I, I was pretty amazed that somebody like that would... You know, because everybody knows, uh, everybody knew in the neighbourhood what, what stage I was at by then. And um, I was pretty amazed. Sandy had started going to church and, and within a very short period of time I'd noticed what I now know to be joy. There's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is something where you're looking forward to a, um, a holiday coming up and you're happy up until the holiday. Two days before the holidays finish, you already the happiness is going and, and the sadness is coming in because you're going back and probably going back to work and uh, so. But joy is something that fills the heart, and that's a, the only way that you can get joy is from our Lord. So um, yeah, so Sandy, Sandy started going to uh, church. I seen joy in her, and yet I didn't know what that joy was, but I'd seen. Beyond happiness, and she kept on saying, you've got to come down here. She calls me Henry, by the way. Henry, you've got to come down here. It's not what you think. It's not what you think. It's not the religious the expectation of what you're thinking that it is or what the world thinks it is. And um, so, so, and so Sandy managed to get me down there one day, kicking and, and uh, putting up a fuss about it. So I, I, I put on some clothes, I got down there. I think I'd been up for a few days when I went down there and I sat in the church and I was amazed, you know what? The church didn't catch on fire when I went in there <laughs> because that was one of the things that I used to say, oh, if I went down there, that would catch on fire. And you know, being out there in the world, that's, I, I hear that left, right and centre, you know, like saying, and you know, that's tabs on yourself thinking that you could do something like that. You'd be on the news, wouldn't you? <laughs> but anyway... Um, I was amazed at, if you could imagine by then, I was nearly uh, 18 years into the addiction. So, yeah, I was a bit scruffy back there, not like I am now. But, uh, yeah, so, and I, I, would, I was withdrawn. I, was, uh, I, I had rings around my eyes. Um, uh, I was, uh, I, uh, I look bad. It's, it's the kind of character that you'd take a wide berth pass and even though by the grace of God my business was still running um, and um, um, yeah while I was, at, while I was at, at church I just noticed how receiving and how lovingly these people were of me and I, I, I and in my mind what, what, what I thought and where the enemy had been at me trying to keep me away from that because believe you me he tries to keep you away he doesn't want any of us coming to, uh, coming to the Lord. And 
any, anyway, so I, I, I didn't go back after that. You know, when you, it's, it's the addiction. But about three weeks later, I got a phone call. And in this phone call, I heard this crackling of an old lady's voice. And I thought it was my auntie. So I said, Daff, um, yeah, hello, Daff, how are you going? And she said, it's not Daff, it's Ev. And I said, no, your name's Daff. But it wasn't my auntie. It was this old lady that sat in front of me. She was 93 years old. And she'd rang me up because I hadn't been back to church for three weeks. I'd only been to church once. And you know what? That absolutely blew my mind. I could not believe it. All my friends were gone. Everybody stayed away. Cookie's a crackhead now. That's what I was. And that's what you do. You you eventually become a hermit and you hide. You can't look at anybody. You will wear sunglasses. And um, because of that, I was able to lift those sunglasses up. And, um, and, and, uh, you know, I I didn't realise that there was an enormous amount of people praying for me in that, at that time, yeah. Thanks so much, um, Cookie, for sharing all of that. And it's at that church you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. And, uh, and obviously your life um, is completely different um, uh, abso- right here and now. Yeah, absolutely, Coops. And I, 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 just, I, I remember one day, that one, one thing that you'll notice if you uh, uh, ever come across somebody, you, you can quite often pick them up with, I, I call them greys, you look out of grey eyes, but your skin colour becomes grey. Um, mirrors you hate, you can't look at the mirror. Because the person that's in the mirror, it's reflecting what you see now. And, but you think that you're that person trapped behind the mirror. You're, you're, you're just completely lost. And, um, and I, I, I just, uh, just not expecting anything to happen. I just screamed out one day when I was in that bathroom. And I, I'll tell you, since I, since I've done that, I, I have a lot of amazing things happen in that bathroom. Nothing happened that day. But from then on, I went to, uh, started going to church. And what I screamed out was, God help me. I screamed at those. I was in a house by, by myself. I live in a big house up at Houghton. And uh, that, that, my, my kids were gone. That, even the pet dog was gone. My wife was gone. But my best friend, she stayed there all, all, all of the way where, where things looked hopeless. And, and you, you know, we, we, we quite often say that the only thing that we can do now is pray. <laughs> no way. Brothers and sisters and, and, and people that don't know the Lord, I guarantee you sometimes it seems like that we're talking to nobody, but that's the first thing that we can do is that we get on our knees and come to the Lord and we ask ask for forgiveness or, or healing or whatever it is from our Lord and, and never, ever, this is one word that my mum said all the way through until she passed away, never lose faith, never give up, never give up. And, and, and I'd, I, I, I never forgot those words. And calling out the God was the best thing that I ever did. Did I expect anything to ha- uh, uh, happen? No, I didn't. I had a loaded 12 gauge. That day was meant to be it. And, and here I am, standing in front of you, wonderful people, listening to my story. I did a lot of shameful stuff, but God has given me a testimony because there's a lot of young people out there, not just young people. You know, we, we've got people working in our business that are from Teen Challenge, which is a Christian organisation um, that um, uh, takes on drug addicts. And, you know, it says Teen Challenge, but a lot of the people of my age, would you believe, 
there's a lot of young people in there as well. And we've got a few of the people working for us in our business now that have gone through that because it's not just a rehabilitation centre that helps you offer drugs. It gives you a purpose in life. I mean, that's one thing on them all now, um, is that one thing that I ask young people, if you could ask God anything, what would you ask? And, 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 and a young person said to me the other day, purpose. Well, you know, I know the purpose now. So, so, sorry if I've overdone it, everybody, but it's, it's a bit hard to no. share a story like that. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank God, you. God bless you. Thank you so much, uh, Jeff, for sharing in, sharing in such detail too, something that's so personal. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, well, having heard that, it takes something, doesn't it, to change a life like that? Like something like that doesn't just happen all by itself. And I think we've heard this morning, you know, something changed in Jeff, something really significant and deep inside him changed. God said in the Bible that he would save his people and he said he'd do it by changing their hearts. Well, Jeff was changed by Jesus. He is a walking miracle and his story is proof that God's real. The thing is, God does this miracle in people every day. And then I wanted to say that actually if you're here, and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're a walking miracle. And I want to challenge you, if that's you, can I challenge you to tell people about it? See, God's showing himself by what he's done in you. So don't keep it to yourself. Your story is convincing, and it's your story, because no one can tell you that you're wrong. It's your experience. We need to tell it. You might be uh, sitting there thinking, well, that's all well and good if you have a great story of huge change, something black and white like Jeff's. Maybe you're thinking, my story's not like that. Who's going to be interested in my story? Plenty of people. That's who. You just have to tell the story in a way that reflects how amazing it really is. And I'm sure many people here have heard of Sam Chan. He's done a podcast and he explains how to take your story, your testimony, and how to tell it in a way that reflects how interesting it really is. And if you text me, uh, if, you, if you send me a text message, that's my number up there, I'll send you the link to the podcast. Have a look at it. It'll help you tell the story of God's miracle in you. Because God uses us at the end of the day, doesn't he, to, to do his work. And we can do it by telling our story. If you send me a text, I'll send you the link. And if you're here this morning and this all just sounds weird, like if that's you, then let me say, as I said before, I didn't come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior until my 30s. And all this sounded weird to me back then too. But I want to ask you, could it maybe, could it maybe just be true? Is there the faintest possibility that you might face God one day? The Bible says that we will. Now, if that happens, what would you tell him about what you've heard this morning from Jeff? How would you explain that it wasn't worth looking, at least taking a closer look, having listened to that story? Now, you haven't spoken face to face with Jeff yet like I have, but I can tell you that he's not lying. And if he's not lying, then his story either makes him a lunatic or he is telling the truth. And if you speak with him over a coffee 
after the service, you'll see he's not a lunatic. And there's about 150 other people here today who Jesus has changed, just like Jeff. See, Jesus did walk the earth. He did miracles, healed people, cured diseases. He made people whole again. And that's exactly what God did to Jeff. He healed him of sin. He made him whole again. See, the evidence, it exists. But you have to want to have a look. Now, Jeff and I, we're going to be around for a while after this, so please do come and talk to us about it. You can ask Craig, you can ask Mark, you can ask Stephen, but not this week because he's not here. But when he's back, you could talk to him. You could just ask the person that you came with just about how best to take that next step and have a look. Or you could come along to our life series that kicks off 7th of November, 7.30 p.m. at the Highbury Hotel. Mark and I will be there along with a bunch of other people. You'll hear about Jesus. The worst case is you'll get a drink and some supper. But you'll at least have heard the evidence. You can choose for yourself whether you think God is worth believing in or not. And I'm going to lead us in prayer now that you will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you work in our world. Father, we thank you for Jeff. We thank you for his willingness to be here, to be so open and honest with us. Father, we thank you for turning his heart to you and saving him. Father, we thank you for Sandy and the way that you've worked in her life as well and how you've used her to save others. Help us, Father, to be those who would speak of those miracles, of the way that you work. And we pray that you'd give us the opportunities, give us the courage and give us the words. Father, we pray that the things that you've done would just prompt a desire in all of those who don't know you, that they would want to find out more about you and that through your gospel, you would save. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.